This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Steve Brown. The Age of Reason by Thomas Paine. Part 2, Section 1. It has often been said that anything may be proved from the Bible, but before anything can be admitted as proved by the Bible, the Bible itself must be proved to be true. For if the Bible be not true, or the truth of it be doubtful, it ceases to have authority and cannot be admitted as proof of anything. It has been the practice of all Christian commentators on the Bible, and of all Christian priests and preachers, to impose the Bible on the world as a mass of truth and as the Word of God. They have disputed and wrangled and anathematized each other about the supposed meaning of particular parts and passages therein. One has said and insisted that such a passage meant such a thing, another that it meant directly the contrary, and the third that it meant neither one nor the other, but something different from both, and this they call understanding the Bible. It has happened that all the answers which I have seen to the former part of the Age of Reason have been written by priests, and those pious men, like their predecessors, contend and wrangle, and pretend to understand the Bible. Each understands it differently, but each understands it best, and they have agreed in nothing but in telling their readers that Thomas Paine understands it not. Now, instead of wasting their time and heating themselves in fractious disputations about doctrinal points drawn from the Bible, these men ought to know, and if they do not, it is civility to inform them that the first thing to be understood is whether there is sufficient authority for believing the Bible to be the Word of God or whether there is not. There are matters in that book said to be done by the express command of God that are as shocking to humanity and to every idea we have of moral justice as anything done by Robespierre, by Carrier, by Joseph Laban in France, by the English government in the East Indies, or by any other assassin in modern times. When we read in the books ascribed to Moses, Joshua, etc., that they the Israelites, came by stealth upon whole nations of people who, as history itself shows, had given them no offense, that they put all those nations to the sword, that they spared neither age nor infancy, that they utterly destroyed men, women, and children, that they left not a soul to breathe, expressions that are repeated over and over again in these books, and that, too, with exulting ferocity, are we sure these things are facts? Are we sure that the Creator of man commissioned these things to be done? And are we sure that the books that tell us so were written by this authority? It is not the antiquity of a tale that is any evidence of its truth. On the contrary, it is a symptom of its being fabulous. For the more ancient any history pretends to be, the more it has the resemblance of a fable. The origin of every nation is buried in fabulous tradition, 
and that of the Jews is as much to be suspected as any other. To charge the commission of acts upon the Almighty, which, in their own nature, and by every rule of moral justice, are crimes, as all assassination is, and more especially the assassination of infants, is matter of serious concern. The Bible tells us that those assassinations were done by the express command of God. To believe, therefore, the Bible to be true, we must unbelieve all our belief in the moral justice of God. For wherein could crying or smiling infants offend? And to read the Bible without horror, we must undo everything that is tender, sympathizing, and benevolent in the heart of man. Speaking for myself, if I had no other evidence that the Bible is fabulous than the sacrifice I must make to believe it to be true, that alone would be sufficient to determine my choice. But, in addition to all the moral evidence against the Bible, I will, in the progress of this work, produce such other evidence as even a priest cannot deny, and show from that evidence that the Bible is not entitled to credit as being the Word of God. But, before I proceed to this examination, I will show wherein the Bible differs from all other ancient writings with respect to the nature of the evidence necessary to establish its authenticity. And this is the more proper to be done because the advocates of the Bible, in their answers to the former part of the Age of Reason, undertake to say, and they put some stress thereon, that the authenticity of the Bible is as well established as that of any other ancient book, as if our belief of the one could become any rule for our belief of the other. I know, however, but of one ancient book that authoritatively challenges universal consent and belief, and that is Euclid's Elements of Geometry. And the reason is because it is a book of self-evident demonstration entirely independent of its author and of everything related to time, place, and circumstance. The matters contained in that book would have the same authority they now have had they been written by any other person or had the work been anonymous or had the author never been known or the identical certainty of who was the author makes no part of our belief of the matters contained in the book. But it is quite otherwise with respect to the books ascribed to Moses, to Joshua, to Samuel, etc. Those are books of testimony, and they testify of things naturally incredible. And therefore, the whole of our belief as to the authenticity of those books rests, in the first place, upon the certainty that they were written by Moses, Joshua, and Samuel. Secondly, upon the credit we give to their testimony. We may believe the first, that is, we may believe the certainty of the authorship, and yet not the testimony, in the same manner that we may believe that a certain person gave evidence upon a case, and yet not believe the evidence that he gave. But if it should be found that the books ascribed to Moses, Joshua, and Samuel were not written by Moses, Joshua and Samuel, 
every part of the authority and authenticity of those books is gone at once. For there can be no such thing as forged or invented testimony, neither can there be anonymous testimony, more especially as to things naturally incredible, such as that of talking with God face to face, or that of the sun and moon standing still at the command of a man. The greatest part of the other ancient books are works of genius, of which kind are those ascribed to Homer, to Plato, to Aristotle, to Demosthenes, to Cicero, etc. Here again, the author is not essential in the credit we give to any of these works, for as works of genius, they would have the same merit they have now, were they anonymous. Nobody believes the Trojan story, as related by Homer, to be true, for it is the poet only that is admired, and the merit of the poet will remain, though the story be fabulous. But if we disbelieve the matters related by the Bible authors, Moses, for instance, as we disbelieve the things related by Homer, there remains nothing of Moses in our estimation but an impostor. As to the ancient historians, from Herodotus to Tacitus, we credit them as far as they relate things probable and credible, and no farther. For if we do, we must believe the two miracles which Tacitus relates were performed by Vespasian, that of curing a lame man and a blind man, in just the same manner as the same things are told of Jesus Christ by his historians. We must also believe the miracle cited by Josephus, that of the sea of Pamphylia, opening to let Alexander and his army pass, as is related of the Red Sea in Exodus. These miracles are quite as well authenticated as the Bible miracles, and yet we do not believe them. Consequently, the degree of evidence necessary to establish our belief of things naturally incredible, whether in the Bible or elsewhere, is far greater than that which obtains our belief to natural and probable things, and therefore the advocates for the Bible have no claim to our belief of the Bible, because that we believe things stated in other ancient writings. Since we believe the things stated in these writings no further than they are probable and credible, or because they are self-evident, like Euclid, see footnote, or admire them because they are elegant, like Homer, or approve of them because they are sedate, like Plato, or judicious, like Aristotle. Footnote. Euclid, according to the chronological history, lived 300 years before Christ, and about 100 before Archimedes. He was of the city of Alexandria in Egypt. End of footnote. End of section 1 The Age of Reason by Thomas Paine Part 2, Section 2 Having premised these things, I proceed to examine the authenticity of the Bible, and I begin with what are called the five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. My intention is to show that those books are spurious, and that Moses is not the author of them, 
and still further that they were not written in the time of Moses, nor till several hundred years afterward, that they are no other than an attempted history of the life of Moses, and of the times in which he is said to have lived, and also of the times prior thereto, written by some very ignorant and stupid pretenders to authorship, several hundred years after the death of Moses, as men now write histories of things that happened, or are supposed to have happened, several hundred or several thousand years ago. End of section 2